for another edition of the World's Best Oklahoma State Podcast. In studio, Karen Emick, columnist for the Tulsa World, alongside Mark Cooper. He covers the Oklahoma State Cowboys for the world. We, uh, we're we in Stillwater on Saturday night watching OSU play its, uh, its most important game of the season and, and have its most important win, 38-35 over the Texas Longhorns. We're going to load up on that game, obviously. Uh, I think fans have been waiting to listen to a, a positive uh, podcast, yeah. a happier tone podcast. It's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> after the last several weeks. So sure, let's let's give the Cowboys their due. But first, Mark, an opportunity maybe to uh, to mention just how neat it was to see Barry Sanders, not just Barry Sanders back in Boone Pickens Stadium, but Barry Sanders rocking the number twenty one uh, orange throwback and and, and and seemingly enjoying himself. And and not just Barry Sanders rocking the number twenty one. The the entire Oklahoma State team went through the walk wearing the twenty one jersey and, and yeah. came onto the field in it and. Uh, you know, wearing the Barry Sanders shoes that they released during the week, and yeah. I think there were a lot of fans who who purchased those jerseys and different things. And uh, you know, Mike Gundy talked during the week last week leading up to the Texas game about how Oklahoma State is trying to rethink and do a better job with the way it celebrates its history. Because yeah. you look around Boone Pickens Stadium, and there isn't really a mention of the fact that Barry Sanders or Thurman Thomas or anybody else played there. Uh, you just have you know Boone Pickens' name and the 1945 championship. Uh, you know, kind of banner on the on the one side, but there's not really a whole lot to the players, and uh, so maybe this is a first step. Obviously, everybody wants a Barry Sanders statue. Yeah, uh, I I think it would be kind of cool if if they did something with the four numbers they have retired, and uh, maybe put them somewhere around the stadium, like a Ring of Honor sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a start, and and I think uh, it energized the entire place. You and I were around the tailgate and and kind of saw. Uh, things happening around the stadium. People were, were excited to be there, even if they didn't expect Oklahoma State to win when they walked into the stadium. And so I think that was really good. And, uh, you know, Gundy mentioned on Monday how important it was for recruiting. I, I know they, they even brought Barry Sanders in, and, and I think he, you know, either spoke to or met some of the recruits. And, and so that mm-hmm. that's always a positive, too. I mean, a guy goes home, especially if you're a running back, and, and says, well, I met Barry Sanders on my trip to Stillwater. Right. That's uh, certainly a treat. Well, you've got uh, a legend back in town. It's homecoming, which is typically a, a big deal in Stillwater. Uh, a, a brand opponent in Texas, uh, a juice stadium that's ready to really get after it. What you got? What you have to do, of course, with all of that in place, you have to give them an excuse to make a difference, and that's why the OSU opening drive was so critical. For well, it's two things. It gives it gives the fans a reason to be a difference maker. Gives uh, the stadium an excuse to be in the game for the next three and a half hours, and it does something for your starting quarterback when he plays as well as Taylor Cornelius did right out of the gate against Texas Saturday night. Yeah, I was really curious to see if they got off to a slow start, how Cornelius was going to react, because I think the boos were going to come pretty quickly if they go three and out or he turns the ball over early. And uh, what Mike Gundy's plan was in terms of if Drew Brown, if there was a short lease there and Drew Brown could could come in the game, uh, but Chuba Hubbard returns that opening kickoff past the 30, gets him off to a nice start, and, and they go down the field and you know, four plays, and Cornelius makes maybe the best throw of, of his career, that 40-yard touchdown to Tylen Wallace, kind of mm-hmm. over over the top of, of one defender, beneath the other one, and, and Wallace kind of drags them into the end zone for the final five or six yards. And and you're right, that sort of set a tone for the entire day where uh, Cornelius just seemed to know where the, where to go with the ball a little bit more than than he has in past weeks. I thought he was he was patient. Uh, the offensive line blocking better certainly helped him a little bit, maybe let him get comfortable. Uh, but the fact that he was turnover free for the first time in six weeks, threw for more than 300 yards, ran the ball really well on the ground, had that 10-yard touchdown to seal the game, 
I think this was the best of Taylor Cornelius, and it, mm-hmm. it's probably what Mike Gundy saw and practiced in August and thought he might get throughout the season. And you know, we've really only seen it maybe two or three times, but uh, you know, you you can sort of see looking at this Texas game what Mike Gundy maybe has seen in practice. Yeah, it's interesting. Cornelius is a guy that uh, it, it's no secret. I mean, he's he's a, sort of a statuesque character, right? He does doesn't show a whole lot. In terms of uh, behavior or uh, sound bites, obviously post game are, are pretty by the book, no matter what the situation. And yet, there were a couple of things I, I saw. The, the most noticeable being the it wasn't so much a spike, but <laughs> a hard drop of the football after the game winning touchdown. That was interesting. But there was even a moment, and I think it was the second drive, where he threw a ball a little high over the middle that uh, Wallace went up and got. And I and I noticed on the uh, ESPN replay. Uh, or ABC, which which one was it? Uh, ABC. ABC replay, <laughs> same family. Yes. Uh, Cornelius left his feet too, uh, and I thought that was kind of telling. I, I maybe he does that more than I than I than I care to to notice. But on this night, where you're looking for little signs from him, it just seemed like this was he he realized that this was a pretty big deal for him. Well, when I when I went to Texas in August and met with his family and and all of his coaches and everything, one thing that every coach I spoke to said was. They couldn't remember a time where he showed any sort of emotion. He right. was always they score a touchdown, toss the ball to the referee, run back to the right. sideline. And so, uh, you mentioned that spike. It looked like somebody who hasn't spiked many footballs. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, it was it was more of a push into the ground, right? And, uh, you know, but but for him, yeah, and and you know maybe maybe he needed some of that. Maybe yeah. maybe that kind of you know gets him going a little bit more. Maybe it it gets his players rallying around him a little bit more. I think uh, you could sort of see. Uh, you know, there's always been so many questions about, well, how do the players feel about this quarterback situation? Mm-hmm. If if they don't feel the best guys out there, that's going to affect how they play. Uh, it it just sort of looked like they had his back on this day. I I kind of noticed, you know, the two touchdowns he ran for, how quickly those guys rushed to him, and um, you know, patting him on the helmet on the sideline, different things like that, and and vice versa. I noticed, you know, when when OSU scored a touchdown. Cornelius would, would stand there on the sideline for the extra point because he wanted to wait for his offensive lineman to come off the field to mm-hmm. kind of you know give them a high five and, and thank them for, for blocking for him. And so uh, at least on this day, it felt like an offense that was very cohesive and, and kind of varied together. Well, and you feel good. You wrote a really cool piece in Monday's World that sort of took fans into the postgame surrounding Cornelius. And that's, that's just a nice moment, is it not, for a, a guy in his position uh, who who bides his time and is the good you know the good teammate and the good soldier and uh, finally gets an opportunity. It looks like maybe he's going to squander it and you got the you know his entire fan base questioning him and wondering after the K State game and you, you want to feel good for kid. I mean he he's a young dude. He's still he's you know he's still essentially yeah, no a kid and you want to feel good for people like that. He's uh, by all by all comments and and uh, appraisals by his coaches and teammates. He's a, he's a genuinely good dude. And you don't want, you don't want the, the the story coming out for Taylor Cornelius to be well. He got his chance and then just didn't didn't get it done for whatever reason. So this at least wrote a happier and and you just felt better uh, about his his situation. The the way I kind of look at that post game is, no matter what happens from here, even if they go six and six and three weeks from now he's no longer the starting quarterback or something like that, uh, you know at least. 10 years from now he'll kind of have that game exactly. that day to sort of look back on and, yeah. and reflect on and 
you know, I know he's from West Texas and grew up a Texas Tech fan, so I don't think the significance of beating Texas probably is as much to him as, as somebody from Dallas or Austin or, or somewhere on, on the other side of the state. Uh, but st- still, number six team in the country on, on national TV with, you know, Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler calling the game. It's, you know, something he could probably go back and watch on TV mm-hmm. a bunch of times and, and feel pretty good about it. And uh, I, th- I thought it was kind of cool that, uh, you know, I was talking to his brother and his dad and they were kind of watching all the students jump over on the field and, and they weren't really planning to at first and then they kind of decided, you know, yeah. why not? And, and yeah. they joined them on the field and, and I thought that was kind of cool that uh, they jumped down there to try to go find him and, and share a quick moment as, as he was getting surrounded by everybody. And uh, yeah, you're right. It was it was a happy ending, and and it's kind of funny because uh, before we went down to the field, I really thought the students running on the field um, could have escalated the situation at the end of the game and and turned it into a really ugly ending. Well, and that's with uh, Texas still being out there, number one, and and that's with the tension yeah, mounting no because of uh, Mike Gundy and Tom Herman rushing the field over uh, uh, Hager's. Uh, uh, I don't know what the kid was trying to do there at the end in, in, in terms of getting after Cornelius when all OSU is doing is snapping the ball to get the game. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, when I when you go back and watch it, I think he and Tyron Johnson were kind of exchanging jawing, words yeah. and jawing, and, and Johnson was one of the guys right next to Cornelius. And so I think it was a Hager versus Tyron Johnson thing more than it was even him trying to go make a play on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you're yeah, and then Mike Gundy and Tom Herman um, – you know, have a little bit of a misunderstanding, and and Tom Herman. So they say. Yeah, so they say, and uh, <laughs> but ultimately, it at, at least it didn't escalate to where any sort of punch was thrown, and well, and, you know, it really it really had had the potential to be far worse than it than it turned out. Yeah, I mean, we're you and I are sitting on you know we're, we've got five hundred to thousand words to write on deadline, and all of a sudden we we've got to look up from our keyboards. I mean, we're we've, we're taking for granted, you know, that the game's going to run out. And that the, you know that there is going to be maybe a field rush, but you're not expecting to, to have to watch the handshake between the head coaches, and all of a sudden you and I have to start, sort of stop whatever we're doing, pay attention, to make sure that this doesn't get out of hand. Yeah. So, um, look, I, both those guys have have their they're crazy to them, don't they? Gundy uh, yeah, and Herman. A little bit. For di- you know, they sort of it, it manifest differently. Yeah. With Herman, there's just a, a weird <laughs> a weirdness about him. With Gundy, it's it's uh, uh, I mean it's weirdness, but it's also um, Sort of a flamboyance in terms of what he does at press conferences, mm-hmm. and you know, you never really know it too. Yeah, how he's gonna, you know, what, he, what he's gonna do at a pep rally at the basketball games, but uh, you get two guys like them upset. Clearly, it's something that's going on. You, you you do start to worry, and I suppose it was a relief that we don't we didn't have to spend the rest of the week writing about it. That they were to uh, put the fire out as soon as it started. Yeah, yeah, and, and and to get back what you were saying about Cornelius, you know, from from our timeline. You know, like you said, we watched the the game end from up in the press box. Mm-hmm. By the time I got down to the field, I think the game had been over for ten minutes, and and so that's what really struck me was that he was still, you know, at the twenty twenty five yard line ten minutes after the game, and uh, pretty much most of his teammates after the alma mater ran into the tunnel and and were out of there. I think there were, you know, maybe a couple guys who were still yeah. with family or friends or whatnot, but not not very many. And I think for Cornelius, it was he couldn't get to the tunnel even if he tried because he had yeah. you know, dozens of people kind of wanting pictures with him and and like I I wrote you know there were there were parents who wanted their kids to pose with him yeah. and, and those sort of things and you know you kind of you kind of made the joke to me he, he probably should have removed his helmet for all those photos <laughs> that was the only thing right uh, but maybe he was in such a daze and and, and <laughs> that he didn't even realize his helmet was still on his head he was he was kind of floating <laughs> I wouldn't blame him if that was the case he had it look he had a right to float Someone else I felt good about, Mark, on Saturday night. Uh, by the way, this is the World's Best Oklahoma State Podcast, another VH Media production. Gary 
and, and Mark Cooper breaking down the OSU win over Texas, the season-saving win, as, as it's being called. Uh, the other guy I felt good about afterwards was Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator who had gone from, oh, this, this is the answer, three games into the year. He's got, a, he's got guys in the right places. He's got a different attitude about, about pressuring opponents, and this is, this is what this team needed. This was like the final the final step in Gundy's process. He went from that to, well, he just has, he's in over his head against the Big 12. And I don't blame the switch based on what we'd seen right. against Iowa State and Texas Tech and uh, Kansas State, second half of Kansas State. But, um, and, and he didn't exactly build a wall to stop, Longhorn still scored 35 points. So it wasn't a complete uh, uh, smackdown. But his defense made enough plays, finally, to allow Cornelius and the offense to stay ahead and, 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 and win the game. And so I, I felt I felt kind of good for another guy who'd been awfully in battle the last several weeks. Yeah, that that defense was very good in the first half. I mean, Ellinger started, what, 5 for 15, I think, yeah. and uh, OSU went ahead 31 to 14 at the half. And uh, those two things kind of worked together because I think the one thing that we learned over the last four weeks is maybe Cornelius isn't a very good quarterback when he has to play from behind and mm-hmm. teams know he's going to have to pass the ball. Because th- those have been the situations where he's really struggled. When when you've given him a lead, like against Boise State or, or this game, he continues to excel. Uh, and so Cornelius and, and Knowles are sort of in a similar situation where after the Boise State game, you thought, oh, they've, they've got the answer at quarterback. They've got a defensive coordinator. Four weeks of struggles and questions and disappointments, and, and now here they are again. And, uh, you know, you talked to Knowles after the game. I didn't get a chance to get over there, but uh, it seemed like he kind of made some concessions from his philosophy, mm-hmm. after, you know, through this open week, realizing I can't do the same things that I did at Duke uh, and, and against these offenses. It's just not going to work the same way. Yeah, he, he, there's a soft spot, and everyone realized it to that OSU defense through. Uh, the K-State game, and that's the secondary because of an experience in the middle that Mike Gundy keeps referencing, and honestly, just subpar play on the corner, not or inconsistent play. I should maybe I should say out of Williams and Green, and so yeah, I think Knowles wanted to keep the pressure on. That's what was working in September for that defense with Brailford and Bundage, especially getting after the quarterback. But let you know, realize, like we got to give the guys in back some help, especially against receivers that of Texas caliber and. If Ellinger is still a work in progress as a passer, and I thought he threw the ball pretty well mm-hmm. Saturday night, guys like uh, little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay could really hurt you if you didn't have the right coverage and the right guys playing the right spots in your secondary, even Andrew Beck uh, over the middle who did catch yeah. a touchdown pass at tight end. So the attention was warranted is what I'm saying, and, and yes, I do think Knowles conceded to that. I don't know what it's going to be like at Baylor this weekend or moving forward, but on this night at least... He made it he sort of sacrifice. Yeah, and I, and I almost feel like the defense maybe played a little bit better than than saying just thirty five points allowed because mm-hmm. uh, that you mentioned that Andrew Beck touchdown that was just an undefend you you couldn't defend that there throw. Were two it of those was, throws. Yeah, and and so uh, some of that is some of the reason Texas scored thirty five. If there was just a couple plays that they made that OSU was in the perfect position and, and Texas was just yep. better, uh, and so I think I think the defense ultimately played well. I think you know they faded a little bit in the second half, but. The second half of that game, uh, they were sort of on the field the same way they were in, in some of their losses in terms of OSU only had, you know, they had less than 200 yards of offense in the second half. They didn't move the ball a ton, and so the defense was out there a whole lot more, and, and I think that allowed Ellinger and Texas to kind of get some momentum. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, it'll be interesting to see how this defense kind of moves forward. Same with the offense. I, I'm kind of interested to see... This reminded me of the Boise game in so many ways, and, and one of the biggest ways was the coaches were as creative 
against mm-hmm. Texas as they were against Boise. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming out of an open week, you sort of expect that. You expect them to throw in some new wrinkles, the eye formation on offense, all sorts of different things. But how do they maintain that week-to-week uh, without getting predictable? Because that's what happened to the Oklahoma State offense over the last month was it became a little bit predictable, and, and teams figured out a way to stop it. And so with, you know, with no more open weeks, with – uh, you know, familiar opponents the rest of the season, how do they stop themselves from becoming predictable and, and getting exploited? Yeah, that's, and people are, I think, trying to come to grips with whether this was a, I was just asked this morning in the office, uh, Mark, uh, whether this was a uh, turning over a new leaf game or if this was sort of a last stand game. You know, it, was, it could go one of two ways here. We, the OSU threw everything it had into this Texas game and they they showed us what they could be one more night, and now they're just going to kind of finish out the string and be about 500 football team. Or they could use what they how they played as as a springboard to finishing better than we expect. Maybe win eight games instead of six at the end of the year. Maybe play in a uh, an Alamo or a, a Camping World Bowl as opposed to a, a, a Cheez It Bowl type of situation. I don't know which way to look at this. Let's let's avoid the the Camping World Bowl. Okay. For your sake, yeah. <laughs> we, that's, that's, no, no offense to the fine people who run it, but I'd, going back to Orlando, I I could do without Orlando. The fans who okay, maybe there are fans who who've always wanted to go to Disney Disney World. Well, they one. they went last year, and that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> once in a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Talking heads. Uh, yeah, somewhere David Byrne is playing in my head now. Um, <laughs> now you got me off track. I, well, what, uh, what I was going to ask: Do you where, where's your sense? Is is this is is this start the start of something bigger, or is this uh, sort of like the Boise State game was? Does it become an anomaly when we when we uh, tape a podcast the first week of December? I I certainly think they should go beat Baylor um, this weekend, and and the way we've seen TCU play, they should go beat TCU, and so I guess. Uh, whether or not this is turning over a new leaf to me is, one, whether they take care of business in those games, but two, whether they can kind of stand up to, to Oklahoma and West Virginia and, mm-hmm. and make those interesting games right. and, and competitive games. Uh, you know, at, the, at this point, anything less than seven and five, four weeks from now, kind of going to be saying this, this Texas game was a fluke. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they somehow lose to Baylor or they lose to TCU. Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing that I, I think is interesting is uh, I went into that game thinking for them to beat Texas, Justice Hill is going to have to have a huge game. And, and he got the ball a bunch. He touched the ball 26 times, but he didn't really go off. We mentioned it was Cornelius. And so yeah. uh, there's still room for improvement, even though they just beat the number six team in the country. They didn't, you know, they, they can run the ball a lot better, you would think. And, and so uh, that's that's one thing I'm interested to see, too, is, is where do they improve over these final four weeks of the year? Because uh, I don't know that this is a formula to beat every team is mm-hmm. let Taylor Cornelius beat them. I think o- Oklahoma State still has to rely on their ball carriers, and I think maybe they found something in Chuba Hubbard against Texas too uh, to carry them forward. So uh, is this? I don't know if it's turning over a new leaf or if it's a, a last stand. I really don't. I, I, it's, I've been very wrong in you know kind of predicting where this team goes right. each week of this season. I've I thought they'd beat Texas Tech. I thought they'd beat Kansas State, and I was very wrong in those. Everyone uh, thought they'd beat Kansas State. You and I did both think they would beat Texas. So, But, I mean, I, I thought they would lose to Boise State in the third week of the season, and, and they proved me wrong there. So, aside from the Texas game, I've really been wrong more than I've been right in thinking about where this team is going next. And so maybe the fact that I think they're going to take care of business against Baylor is, <laughs> is an alarming sign, sign and it's going to be a <laughs> seven-point game in the fourth quarter. 
Well, we don't know as of this uh, recording about Charlie Brewer, right? He's in concussion protocol. Yeah, that's yeah. Baylor starting quarterback. Three interceptions and and eight pass attempts against West Virginia. So, uh, yeah, they they looked like a mess against West Virginia, but they did almost beat Texas the game before that. Yeah, and and they played pretty good defense against Texas, but but outside of that game, is their defense has been dreadful, and that's this is the opportunity, isn't it, for OSU is is to build. With a reawakened quarterback and and a, a recommitment to putting running backs on the field, multiple running backs, whether it's Hill and Hubbard or Hill and King, um, the opportunity to me is there for for them to go out and at least hit another thirty eight on these guys because Baylor is not going to hold you down. I don't think. Yeah. Unless unless you're helping them hold them down by throwing it to them. Yeah, and and this is this maybe this is a little bit of a test for this team mentally uh, because. You know, I, talking to their players last week, they were really ju- juiced up about being an underdog and, and being counted out against Texas, and uh, they compared it to the Boise State game, and, mm-hmm. and those are the two games that they've played really well. Well, the last four times that they've been favored to win a game, they're one and three. That's you know, they they haven't played very well when when kind of they've been expected to win, and there's not much of a build up to the game. You know, this is kind of a you know, no, nobody's really excited about watching this game. Off, yeah. yeah, and so maybe this is a little bit of a mental test for this team too to show that. Hey, they can they can play well even when their backs aren't completely against the wall because this is a very similar situation to when they went to Manhattan a few weeks ago and lost thirty one to twelve. It feels very much like that it game. Does. And at the same time kickoff, it's homecoming for the uh, opponent just like it was in Manhattan. And and so, uh, can this team show that that they've kind of picked up some mental strength over the last three or four weeks that that they didn't really have when they went to Manhattan? Because you and I talked about they just had no energy in that that game. They were. They looked like they didn't really want to be there. Mm-hmm. They they got to show that they want to be there in Waco. They got to play a little bit more like they did against Kansas uh, about a month ago because the, the stadium energy is going to be on, I think closer to that than it was Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I don't think Baylor's going to. There may be that place may be half full for that game. Honestly, um, Baylor doesn't have a whole lot to play for at this point. Oh, they are four and four. Is that right? Yeah, and so. Yeah. Uh, that's that. Yeah. Well, if if they're thinking about bowl eligibility, this yes. is this is one that they need to. to try I would to guess talk the up. Baylor players are going to be pretty fired up for this game so? in the same way OSU was a week ago, uh, because you know they're full. coming off. Well, and then plus they're coming off yeah. of just an embarrassing uh, effort against West Virginia. So yeah, and and I think Baylor still has. They haven't played. No, they have played Kansas State, but I mean they got four games left. They got to win two of them. This is probably this is one, one of the more can, winnable games to, to them win. on their schedule, being at home. So. Uh, I would guess that they're going to be pretty fired up because this is sort of maybe their last stand. Yeah, game. no, that's 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 completely fair. Um, but it is going to be a case where OSU has to sort of make in a, in, a, in a way make its own energy. Yes. They're not going to have fifty eight thousand fan or whatever the crowd was at at, uh, at the Boone. They're not going to have them behind them. They're not going to have Barry Sanders walk out on the field. So can this team sort of you know light its own fire uh, in a, at, a, at, a, at a morning kickoff time and in a game that doesn't isn't going to get near the attention? That's the question. If if they do and if they are able to win, uh, then they're on to something maybe interesting because guess who's next? Yeah, <laughs> a week from yeah. Saturday, and it's not going to be very hard to get it, get amped up for that game. Uh, it's, you know that's that's going to be as important as it gets. Well, I wanted to ask you. You, I was not in Stillwater last night talking to players. You were. Uh, what was the vibe? Just around the guys uh, at post practice, anything interesting? It was uh, it was lighter than it was the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. I think you could sort of see that players maybe felt like there was a weight off their yeah. shoulders. At least in uh, yeah, I think Cornelius kind of smiled a little bit more than than maybe he has the last few Tuesdays. And uh, you know, I had a really good conversation with Jelani Woods, who caught mm-hmm. a touchdown this past week, yeah. and 
even just kind of talking to a guy like him, I remember uh, either before the season or in the spring talking to him, and, and he wasn't, uh, you know, he's kind of a little bit closed up to the media, didn't say a lot. Uh, you know, whether it's the win or whether it's just him being more comfortable in his position now, he was kind of really open, and, and it was a really good conversation. Uh, and so I think I think you're seeing seeing some positives. AJ Green was talking to him, and, and maybe similarly to Cornelius, it felt a little bit like a weight off his shoulder. And, Interesting. Uh, you know, he said that, there was a lot of talk among the quarterbacks and with Tim Duffy about, you know, those Texas receivers and, and kind of the big name that they brought in with them. And, and uh, he kind of said, you know, they were kind of they kind of went into the game thinking, hey, don't forget about us and, and wanted to do something. And, yeah. and, and he played a really good game. And so uh, I, I think at least uh, energy wise and, and mood wise, there was it was a little bit more of a lift than it had the last few weeks. There were a couple Tuesdays that uh, it felt like the mood kind of reflected their record and and yeah. you know this one this one felt like it was on the rise so we'll see about carryover it's osu and baylor saturday uh i'll be there along with mark uh chronicling the game we'll have uh, we'll have it for you in your sunday uh print edition of the tulsa world you can check out our analysis of the game columns stories notes blogs and and so forth on tulsaworld.com osu sports extra in the meantime thank you very much for listening to another edition of the world's best 